So in an interview process, you know, you need, there is good evidence that outcomes are better after the six hours if you've resuscitated the patient properly and if you've given time for things like PPI to work. So, you know, you know, holding off for a few hours time does provide a benefit and um, provided that you hit that window of doing it within 24 hours. So no, so I think that was I think that was really good. I think you covered all of it. And as I say, the practical points at the end they were really were really useful and show you a kind of good real world experience of it. I think the next thing to just go through relatively quickly is just about the actual endoscopic processes for managing bleeding. You're not expected to be able to do these if you haven't, you know, started a, a specialist training post in gastroenterology, but it's not unreasonable for them to show a picture, for example, or talk about pathology seen at the time of endoscopy and how. Um, and then for you to have a discussion about how you would manage that and how you would proceed if you were if you were the endoscopist. So if you want to start going through that quickly, then we can and then we can go off go through after that. Sure. Yeah. So I think the next point, Mike, the point that we're going to be talking about the endoscopic diagnosis sort of and the management of different types of GI bleeding. So there's two key things here is recognizing the pathologies that could potentially be found at endoscopy and the different modalities used for endotherapy sort of to stop the bleeding. So common pathologies that could cause GI bleeding would be ulceration, ulcer disease. This can be either gastric ulcer or duodenal ulcer. And often during endoscopy, it, you can do, so you can do a clot testing, sort of do because uh, H. pylori is often a risk, significant risk factor in developing ulcers. But often it can be quite difficult to do a clot test uh, during an episode of acute upper GI bleed, or if they've already been on PPI. So often these patients can be treated empirically for H. pylori if you're suspecting it. This uh, classification that we use sort of to classify the different forms of uh, GI bleed which is called the forest classification, which is which ranges from class one to class three. And potential causes could be esophagitis, gastritis, and duodenitis. For esophagitis, you've obviously got the Los Angeles classification for esophagitis, again, ranging from grade A, B, C, and D. Other potential causes of GI bleed include angiodysplasias, uh, varices, as mentioned before. Varices can be esophageal or gastric, a combination of both. Uh, malignancy, you can have a bleeding esophageal tumor, bleeding gastrointestinal stromal tumor, which often can be difficult to control by endoscopy. And you could also have um, diolophoral lesions, uh, which is some of uh, vascular telangiectasia. So this is sort of common causes of that can be encountered during endoscopy. In terms of the modalities used for endotherapy, often you use two different modalities during and, and of endotherapy to stop the GI bleed. So some of the modalities include adrenaline injections, you've got uh, clips that you can use to close defects and directly target bleeding vessels. Uh, you can have coagulation probes, so this can be APC, argon plasma coagulation, which is commonly used for angiodysplasia, or you can use gold probe. Uh, spray, sort of a temporary holding measure, especially if you can't control the GI bleed to buy you more time. So sort of a rescue spray if you can't get any control of the GI bleed. In terms of variceal bleed, you've obviously got banding of the esophageal varices. In terms of gastric varices, you can carry out glue injection. So you can't band the gastric varices. Oh, I might be wrong with that. And obviously, if you can't control the GI bleed for endoscopy and if you're active yeah, bleeding, then you need to consider mistaken tube insertion. Obviously, you need every support for this. Patient needs to be intubated. This can only be this can only stay in place for less than 24 hours due to risk of operation. And uh, as you could see uh, there's two balloons in the tube. Once it's a feature balloon and the gastric balloon, but you're only going to be inflated 
the gastric balloon and you're going to make sure there's traction at the end of the tube to make sure there's good tension in the GOJ gastroesophageal junction. Uh, probably have to ask Michael to elaborate on more of the different forms of endotherapy. I mean, I think I think you've covered it very nicely there, actually. I don't, as I say, you're not expected to know the ins and outs and the heat settings and which probes you're going to use for the various things, but you need to know roughly the kind of the what you would be using and you need to know that there's different modalities available and that you would try and use two, two of them at least. You can sometimes use just heat or you can sometimes use a clip if you do it, but you can't use injection, for example, on its own if you're treating an ulcer. Um, but all of that is covered in in, in guidelines and you don't need to know the, the, the ins and outs of it. So you just need to have a broad overview of, of the kind of things that you'd be doing and as you said at the end you don't need to know how to put a sense stacking in but you need to know the process of it and what you would inflate ideally how much you would inflate and, and the things about the traction and that kind of thing and then i think you know the last bit to say is just about post endoscopy management if you've done endotherapy you need to think about a ppi infusion for eight milligrams an hour for 72 hours if there's an ulcer that's needed endotherapy you you know the reports should talk about when you can eat and drink if you haven't had any therapy then you can eat and drink that day if you have therapy then you usually keep the meal by mouth for 12 to 24 hours and then allow them to eat after that and then things like variceal therapy it's a bit different depending on different people. Some will let you eat straight away. Some will say for a soft, sloppy diet for 24, 48 hours and to just reduce the risk of knocking the bands off. You also need to think about what restarting antiplatelets for anticoagulation. Again, the, the guidelines differ here, but if you've got definitive treatment and it's a low risk, so a forest three ulcer, for example, you can restart straight away. If it's higher risk, you need to think about giving it a, a few days, usually between three and five days to restart it. And then you need to think about what happens if the endoscopic therapy has failed. So what's the rebuild plan? If there's a huge ulcer that needed treatment, then often you would do another OGD. However, if it's if it's a massive ulcerated lesion throughout the stomach that you haven't been able to control, then you need to think about whether you need to get the surgeons or interventional radiology and if there to be evidence of rebleeding. And then the next thing you need to think about is about a possible referral to tips. So that's indicated if there's variceal bleeding that you can't control at endoscopy, and that is a life-saving rescue intervention that you need to make a referral to your local tip centre. And then after that, you need to think about whether there's an indication for this patient to be admitted to HG or ITU, or whether they can be managed on the ward. Now, obviously, if there's concern about the airway or you've got SENSTAC and tube in them, they'll need to be admitted to, to intensive care. But if they're a stable patient where you've got hemodynamic state of stability and you've got endoscopic control of the bleeding for the moment then they're, then they're usually suitable to go to a general ward setting and the next thing you need to think about is whether there's a need for repeat OGD now guidelines state that if you see an isolated gastric ulcer then they need a repeat OGD at six weeks as there's a low chance of malignancy with those so you want to ensure healing and the other thing is for severe oesophagitis so if it's LA grade C or D, then they need to have a repeat endoscopy after six weeks of treatment. And that is to look for any underlying any underlying Barrett's disease or any evidence of ongoing inflammation. And then the, the last thing to think about when you're talking about this scenarios in the in the in the interview is about longer term management of the pathology that you found. So obviously we've already mentioned rescoping. But things like if you see esophageal varices, do they need to be on a banding ligation program or do they need to have non-selective beta blocker therapy? And then if this is an, if this is in the context of a decompensation in otherwise cirrhotic patient who has a qualifying UCL score, you need to think about whether they actually need to be referred for, for a liver transplant. And all of those are not 
things that need to be mentioned straight off the bat, but shows good awareness of the situation that you're in clinically and the longer term management of all of these patients. So I think that summarizes everything we need to talk about from the knowledge point of view. Kriti, is there anything else you want to mention? I don't think so, Michael. I think you've obviously covered uh, all the bits that I've missed out. And I think you've had a good flow of all the history examination bits. I don't think so. It's all right. So we'll say thank you very much for watching this and, and we'll, we'll see you again at the scenario stations. Yeah, thank you.